everyone. Welcome to Real World Parenting, tips and scripts for parents on roads less traveled. I'm Dr. Laura Anderson, a child and family psychologist, and I'm glad you're here. As you settle in to listen, let me reassure you that you are in the right place. If you're a loving parent looking for answers and encouragement, and maybe even a chuckle amidst hard things. If you're a loving parent who's raising a child on a journey different from your own as a child, and are seeking a compass as you navigate uncharted waters. This is the place for you if you get the theory of parenting advice you keep hearing, but for the love of chocolate and curry and all other nearly perfect things, that theory never quite works as planned with your actual children. Finally, you are in exactly the right place if you're a therapist or clinician who works with kids, teens, and families. My intention is that these episodes will deepen your work and change lives. So in this intro, I get two to three minutes here to boil down 30 years of work in my psychology offices and my experience as a mom in the trenches and let you know what I'll offer with this podcast. I almost called it Lessons from Our Living Rooms or Couch Conversations because my offerings will be things I have learned and keep learning from the vantage point of both my living room couch and my therapy office couch. The aim of this podcast is to offer hope, support, wisdom, and experience in community, to provide clinicians a window into what our recommendations actually mean for real families in real life. We will talk all things kid and teen related and shine a spotlight on families navigating identities related to race, gender, and adoption. We will explore common child and adolescent mental health and wellness related topics. The hope is to leave you with a greater understanding of your child's needs and a, you got this, energy. Episodes will also feature actual practical tips and answers to questions including, well, what do I say when? And well, what do I do when? So that you feel equipped to handle the day-to-day parenting puzzles we face. So pour yourself a cuppa or lace up some shoes or hide in your busy parent bathroom for a bit and join me for head and heart conversations about loving and living with children walking past less often traveled. Have I mentioned I'm glad you're here? I trust that you'll be glad. To get back to what you were talking about, you're meeting with over 50 adoptees. The need for adoptees to connect with each other in community has just been amplified tremendously. Correct. Uh, definitely in the last year, definitely in quarantine, when I think a lot of people were like, I need to connect. Um, but my, I've been hosting the group for adoptees of color since November of 2014. And we started because so many support groups were white adoptees who were typically older, mostly domestically born, and they were white adoptees looking for birth family. So, um, a friend of mine who's an India, an adoptee from India went to one of these other groups and was like, okay, yeah, everybody's adopted, but you're all white. And yet again, I'm the only person of color, like in this space. And I, I need something else. So the organization was like, oh, you should try PACT. I know they do a lot of work with like kids of color who are adopted. And then it came across our doorstep and our director, Beth Hall, just said, Katie, do you want to lead this group for adoptees of color? Like, what do you think? And I said, sure, let's, let's try it. Uh, We've been going strong since November, 2014, and we don't get smaller. We get bigger. My national group hits about 20 every month and my local group hits almost 30 every month, um, all online and on Zoom. And the thing I hear repeatedly, repeatedly, repeatedly from any age is I didn't know anybody else growing up. 
this is the first time I've ever sat in space with this many adoptees and this many people of color. These are people in their 40s and their 30s who are logging into a Zoom screen, seeing 25 other faces of color, and they are saying out loud, this is the first time I've ever been in space with this many people of color. This is the first time I've ever been in space with this many adoptees. This is the first time I've never had to explain myself, right? A friend of mine who I knew outside of group, and I kept trying to get them to come to group, took them about a year and a half, because everybody's on a different path Mm -hmm. in their journey, Mm -hmm. took them about a year and a half to come to group. They came in March and they came in April. I just had my group on Tuesday. And already they're like, I don't have to explain anything. When I sit with my other friends and I try to tell them why my birthday is complicated or why I don't want to go home or why I don't speak Spanish or why I can be triggered at the drop of a hat around an icebreaker activity that has to do with names or my school assignment on family trees, right? So they're they're sharing on the Zoom screen and they see all 25 um, faces nodding their head vigorously. And then everybody who shares usually stops and says, you all, you all are nodding your heads. <laughs> and we're like, yeah, we are. Cause we know exactly what you're talking about. And I have seen, there are adoptees who are like, I can never lose pact. There's an adoptee who's about to move to the East coast. And she already said, Oh, the first Tuesday of month is dedicated to pact. I don't miss group. I will stay up late to be able to log in with the West coast group. Cause that's who I know best. I have had numerous emails of like sitting in space for two hours with adoptees of color who get it has been the healing that I've been looking for for 30 years or 40 years. I have a 42 year old adoptee in my group who just found out 10 years ago that they were adopted because they are biracial, black and white. Their parents are white and their parents did that whole, oh, you're Italian. You just tan easily. And this adoptee was not notified until they were about 32 well, actually you were adopted. Your birth father is black. Your birth mother is white. We were just trying to pass you off, which is way too common and still happens, especially with white passing kids of color. So I can't even wrap my mind around the fact that that still happens. That is still happening. And I, I get it that that adoptee is now 42. So it was 40 years ago, but they did not find out until 2011 that they were an adopted person in their thirties because their white parents just, you're, you're Italian. It's it'll Greek be, from this side. Or it'll right? be oh, easier. Yeah, and it'll be easier for whom, right? I think the parents tell themselves mm-hmm. that it'll be it'll be easier for a child not to experience that racism that'll be out there. It'll be easier for our family not to have the attention right. that we get because, um, you know, people are unnaturally curious. But But really, a lot of it is protecting them parents from having hard conversations and making hard choices it isn't just the conversations it's the choices about right as we say who's at your table and who's in your schools and who are you traveling to meet on vacation and all that other kinds of stuff but um what do you think is there any like if you had to look back are there maybe it's the lucky conversation when i have these talks and discuss people from different vantage points i try to pinpoint like times that that parents can know what to say or do differently. We've talked a bit already. There have been several tips about what to do and say, but what is there a situation that you can think of that comes up a lot for adoptees that, that you wish for your own parents or that you hear people talk about that they knew what to say differently or how to respond when X, Y, or Z happens? Can you, can you think of a couple of situations that come up a lot that we need to continue to prepare parents to be able to respond to? 
That's tricky because you're also going to have to know the personality of your child, right? Like your kid, (laughs) your kid might be like, I need you to verbally shut down somebody who makes this inappropriate comment. Yes. Or you might have the kid that's like, I already stand out. Don't make me stand out even more. Yeah. Just ignore them and walk away. Right. So there was something I remember from earlier. There was an adoptee on one of my panels a couple of years ago who gave a beautiful point of for parents, you're a parent. If you have adopted, you're also an adoptive parent. If you have adopted across race, you are also a transracially adoptive parent. So you have three steps to think about. And a lot of times people get really mad at adoptees because some of us hate our parents. Some of us are estranged from our parents, don't talk to them. None of that. And then people say all the time, well, why aren't you close to them? You seem okay. Like they were good parents. So I like to give that three breakdown. My parents were great parents. I know how to be a human in this world. Adoptive parents, uh, they talked about it a little bit. I always knew I was adopted, mostly because I don't look like them, but they didn't have the language. And then parents across race, they did not do a great job. (laughs) So I like to be like, oh, they did a great job at parenting, but being a white parent to a brown kid, not a great job. Um, And then sometimes a lot of parents are like, oh, okay. Like, right, they, they told me how to cross the street, how to ride my bike, how to balance my check. But we're like, they taught me those life skills, but they don't know what it means to be a person of color in this world. So if you are parenting across race, you signed up for a three check system, <laughs> parenting, parenting, adoption, race, and you have to handle all of that. So that is really tricky. For the adoptees I've spoken with, oh, what do they hear? Some of them have heard in the middle of a restaurant some person will just yell out, how much did you pay for those kids? Yep. That <laughs> um, has definitely, I had, there was a, um, a six-year-old, when my child was six, a six-year-old in school asked how much I paid to adopt my child, right? And he, yeah. and, and my child brought that home and was like, what does that mean? I was like, well, yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah, it's very much so, there. So in that moment, my friend who is also a Latinx adoptee, I think she, I think her parents yelled something back and then had a conversation with her. So her personality was like, yeah, I want to see my parents step up yep. and then talk with me about it. Yeah. Other people don't, I mean, there's how much did you pay for that kid? Um, is that your real mom? I think almost every kid deals with that when their parent picks right. them up, your real dad, your real parent, when the adult picks them up from wherever they are. So having those conversations beforehand Or even some type of agreement of like, okay, I will pick you up around the corner from school. (laughs) Like you're Mm going to walk with your friend who knows us. So I know you're safe, but I'm going to pick you up around the corner from school. So we don't have to deal with that yet or something like that, which I've heard other adoptive parents do um, because they have a kid who was able to speak up for themselves and say, this is really hard. Can you pick me up in the back parking lot or around the corner? We just had this conversation in my group an adoptee in their thirties who thought they were the only one. If you are a cis het couple uh, or there's a white male in the adoptive family and you are raising a young female identified person of color, you are going to, they are that your daughter, because it's happened to me, is going to be called your mistress, your girlfriend, your what people have thought I am my father's girlfriend. I don't know how many times because I am this Latina I am curvaceous. I have long hair. I'm very femme presenting. And my father is 
70. He looks wealthy. <laughs> he's white and he's European with a thick accent. And I love my dad and my dad loves me. So we walk arm in arm or we walk right next to each other. And gosh, since I was 16 to 38, repeatedly, they think I'm his girlfriend or his mistress or his side piece. And in my adoptee group last month, a bunch of us hung out on the, on the zoom after the call and a Peruvian adoptee, she said, Oh my gosh, I thought it was the only one. And all the, <laughs> all the women or female identified still on the phone, on the call were like, Oh no, that, that happens with me when I'm with my white father or my white uncle or a white male in my family, I'm immediately called the mistress, the side piece, the girlfriend. Um, my dad told me, somebody said that to him. They're like, Hey, that's a hot little number you've got there. And he, I was not present, but he told me that he like unleashed <laughs> and right. said that is my daughter that, so I, and I felt comfortable like, okay, good. So you'll get, you'll get that comment. Um, if you're a, a family that has a mom with a, a boy of color, I, I would wager part of my property. Yeah. Somebody will stop you one day to find out if he's bothering you. If you're raising siblings that are not the same race, um, there's a family that you and I both know that have a black son, a white daughter and a black son. And repeatedly the white daughter has been like, are you safe? Are these two black boys bothering you? And she repeatedly has had to say, these are my brothers. So it's also not just the parents adopting. Right. It's if you already have kids by birth or of another race through adoption, your kid also has to navigate that. Well, it's super valid point that like that, that it impacts everyone and that the, the pre the, you can't guess every time these conversations are going to come up, but you start to see themes based on how racism and stereotypes work in the States and like front loading some of those, like, D is this the time you want me to say something, you know, squeeze my hand if you yeah. just want to get out of here with little kids even like, or yep. I think there's always the repair chance too for parents, meaning that, you know, you get back in the car and I have a number of times said like, wow, mama's really, I probably should have done something different there. You know, you know, what do you think with them knowing ultimately it's up to me to handle when they're really little. But like, what do you think? Would you wish mama said nothing or said something? Um, what would you say to the real parent comment? Like, it, what can anybody what can any parent say to a question from the the other kids at the elementary school playground or middle school or, or like when they hear out loud in front of their adopted child that somebody's asking about their real parents? What makes sense to say in that moment? Ooh. My parents were never faced with that. And if they were, they haven't told me. Mm. I know what I used to say. I would say something like, that is my real mom and dad. Why do you keep asking me? That is my, I would just keep saying over and over. And then I, when I got older, I would finally say, do you, are you asking me if I want to know who my birth mother and my birth father are? And to just give the language also mm. of like, Right. And and there are there are more adoptees now who, yes, they still say mom and dad or mom and mom or dad or whatever, but they're they are starting to say a little more like this is my adoptive mother from the jump. And I think I need parents to be okay with their kids saying that, saying this is my adoptive mother, and not be like, no, I'm your mom, I'm your real mom. Right deep down, my mom is my real mom. Like there is no. She drives me nuts. Is she white and fragile? Absolutely. I can only give so much time with her, especially on this tiny white island. When she comes to visit me in Oakland, it's much better because we're in, in diversity. I love my mom to death. But if I said something like, this is my adoptive mom, I need her to be okay 
and say, yep, I, I adopted Katie when she was a baby. Like that is what I would love. Yeah. And then maybe I might have a moment where I come around and be like, mom, you know that you're my real mom, but I just wanted to say you're my adoptive mom in that moment. And I, I would need parents to understand that your kid might have to say at age seven, this is my adoptive dad. I need parents to not freak out. <laughs> freak out. And to- find, there is that thing where parents worry about their their place and their, I mean, there are so many times with parenting in general, all three of those lanes that you mentioned where you have to put your kid's wellness first and, and it is uncomfortable. And, and it, I think it's somewhat, I don't want to say natural, but it's understandable why, why parents to a point would be like, Oh, Oh, but this is, you know, it's something we've created and I need to know it's solid. And there's this, you know, fear of the, the whole other episode going to be a fear of the ambiguous birth relationships that are out there instead. Um, But really being, uh, you know, taking the lead from your kid too, I think is a great point about, do you just, uh, what is your kid most comfortable with? Do you ignore it? Do you want me to ignore those comments and just keep going? Do you want me to say real? Of course, I'm right here in the flesh and blood. And like with silly little kids, just sort of keep moving. Do you want to ask for clarification? Um, you know, I, it's funny. I've heard before people talk about with the cost question, you know, answering back because other kids have asked. And I, and it's actually funny. I will confess that at one point, another child who was probably in secondary grade asked my child, asked me in front of my child also again, how much they cost. And I was like, you know what? That's such an interesting question. I tell you what, ask your mom and dad how much it costs to give birth to you in the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> like I was like, go find out what the medical bills yes. were for that, and we'll come back together and visit. And my and my kid was like, mom, because he happens to be more of a kid who doesn't want a lot of like kerfuffle. Right. That's not his yes. style in those moments. And so I am walking a line, but the this the skill there it does. I think if you have a couple of ideas ready to respond, knowing that if we do nothing out of fear. If we do nothing intentionally because our choice is to ignore it and keep moving and have conversations Mm -hmm. with our kids later, that's powerful. But if we freeze and have a belief that it is awkward or or unwanted, then then our children are only then going to have a harder time finding language to pair with their internal experience later, right? Like, yeah. even if we mess it up a couple of times. My my yeah. recent favorite. I don't I don't know if you saw this, Katie, where we were we were out in public and and somebody uh, approached us and and just asked point blank, you know, oh, or. Is he, and then they're awkward, right? They're looking at me, they're looking at, is he, are you, are you adopted? And we just sort of paused and my child looked at me and I said, you know, well, you know, we're actually, we're actually kind of private about our family information. And so, you know, I hope you have a lovely evening. And that person immediately was like, oh, sorry, sorry. I have family member. You know, it, it, it was, it was one of those that wasn't totally over the top intrusive. Yeah. We backpedaled. And then as we were walking away, my child <laughs> looked at me and said, you know what, mom? I just sort of said, you know, what? No, I'm not adopted. She's just my <laughs> off-brand bodyguard. <laughs> oh, they should have said that. That would have been perfect. <laughs> I love that. I'm totally using that in my clinical work. Yeah. Like in terms of talking to parents, like middle school age, like, yeah. oh, no, just my off-brand bodyguard. And, you know, and then my friends and I have laughed about, you know, middle-aged moms being pretty fierce as bodyguards. But still, the idea being that, like, we, it's coming up with a language, I think, with your kids so that you feel ready to model. It doesn't need to be a secret that they're adopted, but it can be private. Right. 
And then when they are embarrassed by us, that we have to handle that and recognize that the world is is forcing them to figure out categories. And it's also outing part of their story, right? I mean, recently I had an online, same thing, like online class my child is in. And and I'm like, oh, I want to say, you know, I'm going to pop in and just introduce myself. And he's like, really, mom? Like the, the minute you do that, I'm like, nope, okay, I'll send an email, you know, kind of a thing. Like, because yeah. it is, it's an automatic, pretty personal bit that begs more questions for other people. There's the the just general curiosity, like the person you yes. just mentioned. Because yeah. I've definitely done that where I'm not with my parents and I see a family that looks like mine and I get so excited <laughs> yes. and I want to go say something. And then I, I'm like, oh gosh, no, I know that feeling. So then I pedal back. I've heard uh, there's a, a, a camp counselor who grew up at Pat Camp and is now a camp counselor. And they had a code word with their parents whenever they were out. And it just was too much whiteness, too much whatever. And they would go up and say, we forgot to check the mail at home. And then the parents knew that the kid was ready to get out of there. So it was, and it was, this, this adoptee was like, it was either too overwhelming or I'm starting to get too many questions. So like having a code word with your kid when they get uncomfortable. I had an adoptee, uh, a transracial adoptee who once said to parents, if you're comfortable, you're not doing it right. Cause your kid is uncomfortable. I have been uncomfortable my whole life, especially when I'm with my parents. And then even when I'm not, I'm still uncomfortable because I don't feel like I'm Latinx enough or I'm not, you know, Colombian enough or right. All these different things. So code words, nobody's perfect. We also don't stay static, right? So one week your kid might want you to educate somebody in the moment. And then the next week your kid might be like, close your mouth. Let's just go. Yeah. (laughs) So flexibility is key with just in general with parenting, but like Uh, being flexible with your kid, the code word, the, what do you want me to say? There's the program that we've used before um, called wise up where families can walk away, can ignore, can share, or can educate. Um, those are, I think those are the main mm-hmm. points, if I remember correctly. And I did a, a, an activity of that with kids before. And it was great to hear them because they were like, oh, yeah, this one day on the playground, I just walked away. But then next month, I decided to share, like, yes, I was in foster care, but then I was adopted. I've also heard this response, which I have never said before, but fiery personalities, right? When somebody says, how much did they cost or how did that happen? I've heard of adoptive parents say, oh, well, can you tell me what position you use to get pregnant? <laughs> because it's, yes. like, it's like, right, it like totally catches people like, that's private. How dare you ask? And then they're like, right, exactly. That's private. So how dare you ask about my kid or my family formation? That makes people stop and think about the, the yep. intimacy and privacy of the type of information mm-hmm. they're seeking. And then one that we haven't mentioned, but I know comes up because families I'm working with right now who have adopted are getting it all the time. The curiosity or the the stereotype and the inquiry that they have around birth parents is just, oh, so you adopted this drug addicted yeah, baby? Yeah. And the baby that I just placed with this family, no drugs in their system whatsoever. Birth mom and birth dad were both involved. They both signed paperwork. They were matched. They know the family. Like, None of the stereotype or narrative that Hollywood and anybody else is putting out there even exists for this family. And they still have friends being like, how many drugs were in in their system? Is the birth parent a drug addict? Like, no. (laughs) So that question too comes up. That's really scary, especially if your kid doesn't fully understand that yet. Yeah. 
I haven't really heard of responses, except some people typically like to educate. I do too. When I'm just talking with people who find out I work in adoption, they say, oh, aren't all the babies drug addicted? And I just take the opportunity to say no. (laughs) The, The messaging or what they get is also just the foster care narrative of, oh, you work with all these babies that were pulled from their drug addictive or abusive parents. And I'm like, no, there are actually parents out there who basically because of systemic racism, can't parent, don't use any drugs or substances and want to do a voluntary placement. Both are experiences. So parents listening also have to (laughs) figure out and navigate the intrusive questions about birth parents and where it comes from. And remembering that what, what feels okay to share, like if you wouldn't share it in front of your 14 or 15 or 16 year old child, don't share it in front of your two year old child or six month old child, right? And fast forward and imagine your child as a 17 year old looking you in the eyes when you decide what you're going to tell the checkout lady at Safeway or whatever, right? Like there's a, that's another, we we lose sight of the fact that our kids are going to age and incorporate all of those moments. There's Your one kid I is gonna grow up. And they will, and they will keep experiencing it at different, right? At different phases yep. the way adoption comes up. And I know, gosh, there's already so many other topics that I'm thinking of. Mm-hmm. What one more before we wrap up, and I know it's a whole topic in and of itself, and I'll I'll be thinking about how to to best incorporate it. But you mentioned a little bit about the angry adoptee um messaging and like, can you be anti-adoption? What does it mean to be anti-adoption as an adoptee? Speak a little bit about that. Because I know, you know, oftentimes I get parents, adoptive parents, white parents who who in their own place of defensiveness and fear get to like, well, what did you, well, what should we do then? You know, if we don't adopt, no, and like, well, what are you then? You don't think adoption should ever happen kind of a thing ends up being part of the conversation. What are your thoughts on can you be an adoptee who's anti-adoption and what does that look like? Yes. I hope this makes sense because I feel like it makes sense when I explain it. <laughs> My adoptee self, so Katie, just just as an adoptee, I believe adoption should be either abolished or heavily reformed. And I strongly believe that there should be no transracial adoption whatsoever. My MSW social worker self, adoption professional self, believes that adoption needs to be strongly reformed. And if there has to be transracial adoption, it is not to just anybody. Parents have to take a six month to a year long education track until they can adopt a kid of color. Even that is not going to be enough, but it's going to be more than they get now. Yeah. So yeah, like if I wasn't working, if I wasn't in this field as an adoptee, I think I'd be one of those at the front lines. That's like, <laughs> burn it to the ground, abolish all of this, especially international and especially transracial, which I know is a whole nother topic. Mm-hmm. But as an adoption professional that works directly with pregnant people, knows that it is deeply systemic racism, knows that the systems in place have failed these individuals. it And knowing that there are kids who legit and genuinely need safe homes. I have worked with pregnant people who they're like, I don't want to be a parent. Like, I guess I got pregnant, my birth control failed or whatever, but I don't want, I've never wanted to be a parent in my life. So let me place with somebody who really wants to and wasn't able to biologically. There is that tiny percentage. And if there are those people I want them to have real options counseling, which means if they are Black, they are looking at 12 Black families, not 42 white families and one Black family, which is what they're getting at pretty much every agency in this country. 
they log into an agency website and it is 75 white families and four black families. They log into my agency website and it is 12 black families that they can choose from. That is real choice. They can decide. Maybe they have internalized racism. Maybe they were raised by white parents themselves and it was okay for them. So they're like, sure, I'll place with one of your 75 white families. Or maybe there's somebody who's like, I think it'll be a little bit easier if my kids' parents know how to do their hair, lotion their skin, take them to church or whatever cultural traditions there are. So it's it's also just, it's about choice. Yeah. <laughs> a pregnant person should be able to look at people who look like them and decide if they want to do that. So that's where as a professional, there needs to be reform. There needs to be ethical anti-racist practices. I had a family email me two weeks ago. They live in Utah. They took 10 hours of adoption education. One of them was on transracial adoption. One hour. That is not enough. The program at PACT is not even enough. And I think the other piece that I wanted to say was even parents who are more savvy than my parents were, are more aware, have moved out of Maine, live in East Oakland, their kid goes to Concrete and Roses or whatever the, it's uh, named after Tupac (laughs) song, right? Like, and it's just black teachers and black, right? And they do all the stuff and their kid is in the blackity black world. The kid is still coming home to a white family that looks nothing like them. Even kids who I have watched grow up at packed camp, who I think, oh my gosh, your parents are doing everything right. You had everything that I never had. I now sit with these kids who I met when they were three and they're now 12 And they are saying stuff to me that I said in the 90s. They are saying stuff to me that I hear my adult adoptees talk about. And I'm like, wait a minute, you live in Oakland? You go to this school? You come to PAC camp? You're part of teen club? All you see are Black kids and blah, 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 blah. And they're like, yeah, but Miss Katie, I still go home to white parents. And my culture is still very heavily white. Like, I'm still... And these are kids who I... I'm like, man, your parents are doing it right. Like your right. family, right? Like right. you are doing it right. <laughs> yeah. And I, and then I get to sit with these kids. I mostly sit with the 10 to 12 year olds and they're like, yeah, my parents are still doing it right, but I'm still black and they're still white. So if you're listening, you can do everything in your power. It is never going to be perfect and you are never going to understand it, but there will be a level of comfort for your kid that my generation did not have. And I can see it like, the adoptees that come to my group are the adoptees that did not have packed camp. I know a lot of adoptees ages 18 to 25 who can totally come to my group, but they all grew up at pack camp. So like they don't need an adoptee support group because they already have their community in place. So that's how important community and mentors and safe spaces like that are for kids because I never, they're all, I know them all. They're all old enough. And I invite them to my group and they're like, no, I'm good. And I'm like, yeah, because you grew up with parents who were doing it right and doing right things. And then also at camp, they will have times with me of like, yeah, I know my parents did it right, but I still have to deal with being black. Right, right. Right, the universe. I'm still watching the George Floyd moments. I'm still watching any number of events, right? And I still have parents who haven't lived it and, and need to get, continue to get better and better talking to talk and walking the walk and 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 it is a different it's a really distinct journey this is a perfect place to to end right so it's a really distinct journey there's no one journey but there's another invitation for 
adoptive parents to seek out the range of adoptee voices, to be yes. comfortable when there is anger, to be comfortable when the very institution is questioned, to sit in complexity with what you talked about. I think it's hard initially for a lot of parents, like so oftentimes life forces upon us the issue of flexibility and holding really complicated, intense emotions in one place. And it's hard for people when they start out to imagine that you can love your mother as much as you do and love your dad as much as you do and, yep. and know that you got many amazing gifts from and with them and yet still feel really strongly about what was lacking in your yeah. in your family and that and and question whether it's okay at all and believe it isn't you know like that, that that you can you can live and stay in relationship and stay in loving family and still have the intense complexity of it all and, and that when when parents get into trouble is when they shut down learning for themselves or their child yeah. because they believe there isn't room to, to have all of those experiences. So I'm really appreciative uh, of you making the time to come here today. And um, I look forward to all the ways that you've held my feet to the fire over the years, <laughs> uh, directly and indirectly. And um, I'm really hopeful for, yeah, adoptive families everywhere that this word keeps, keeps getting out there. So thank you for your time today, Katie. I appreciate it. Yes, you're welcome. All right. Well, thanks for listening today. And if you'd like to find me other places, come take a look at my website, www.drlauraanderson.com. There you can join my newsletter and uh, keep in touch and find out what is in the works. You can also join me for coffee and conversation uh, and Facebook at Common Cord Psychology Services. So check me out those places and I look forward to further connection. I'm glad you were here today.